This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Reba mashile ba segodi sa malekane. Mokibane wa monesa morale. Ngwana wa lepula ne pula ha chabe. Ke machaba tladi segotha ka mosela. Ntheng ya thaba magale a segobele. Ke machilwane a shibe. A shila nakala mushidi ka mosho. A shila thogotsa batho rena ba maswika maramaka. Erego mai a chilwane. South Africa, you do not have a name. Things that go unnamed wander through the world not knowing where to look or where to go. In Africa, names are asked for, prayed for. Blood is spilled in the name of naming. Warm red liquid seeping into dust fills the dead with life. Our names are the dead speaking. Lebomashile at the Logos, Lagos Literary Festival in 2018. Now, poetry, it's often romanticized. It's romanticized as the stanzas of Tennyson and Keats and Chaucer, the classics. But the 21st century poet is a protester, an activist, a provocateur, a person who gives us a perspective that's uncomfortable, the mirror to society. The words of this era of poetry are about life, its hardships, the torments of the soul, the bondage of political systems and outdated values and conventions that we call culture. Poetry is also performance art. It's in the passion of the poet speaking those words the theater of those words that really creates the resonance. And when you get that synergy right, poet and performer, then the poet becomes a voice. A voice for a nation and a voice for a generation. And without any equivocation, that is exactly what has happened to Lebohang Mashile. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. South Africa, you do not have a name. That's an indictment. And people have said South Africa is a geographical position. It's not a name. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a place where naming matters so much, you know, I think that in this part of the world, on the continent and even beyond the African continent, for indigenous people around the world, poetry has always been a social function. Um, Poetry is, you know, when people, when civilizations come together, when people, when you define what the hallmarks of a civilization are, you know, what makes a people a people, what makes a culture a culture, People make language, and then as soon as they make language, they start making music and they start mm-hmm. making poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, poetry is for people. It's for it's for performance. It's for sharing. It's for the ear. It's for the body. You know, um, I think the way that the kind of Western canon t- 
teaches poetry and the way that that canon is forced down our throats at school makes poetry a very alienating experience for a lot of people, you know, because how do you connect with Tennyson? How do you connect with Yeats or with Keats? You the know? meadows of the Cotswolds. You're like, where's hey, that? Where hey, what is, is that? that? What is that? <laughs> I had, I was lucky to have a, what I now realized is a very radical English teacher who taught us the politics of Shakespeare, who taught us how to really deconstruct Shakespeare. And, and I realized like, you know, that Shakespeare was talking to queer people. Shakespeare was speaking about power. You know, kings were, were putting on clothes to look like normal people and go to Stratford-upon-Avon yeah. with people who were watching. They were watching this theater drinking pints of beer. It was pop culture of the time. He was speaking to ordinary people and he was deconstructing power. He was speaking about gender. He was speaking about money. He was speaking about hierarchy. But if... If you don't have somebody who teaches you that in that way, it just sounds like this highfalutin English that doesn't make sense. It sounds like a life that doesn't make sense. But actually, the reason why he survives is because what he's saying is as relevant as what yeah. Don Matera was saying, yeah. as what Tupac has been saying. I think for I think for people of color, for oppressed people, art has always served, well, for as long as we have been in the conditions that we find ourselves in, Art is forced to serve mm. a political function because art speaks to your time. Yeah. So if our times are defined by, you know, these these forces that act on our lives, then we must speak about right. these forces. I love what you're saying about Shakespeare always being used as a marker of intelligence, the intelligentsia. But actually, it was pop culture at the time. It was yes. for every man and every yes. woman. People were going and drinking pints of beer <laughs> and making noise. And it was, you and know. barely listening to him. And barely, and talking back to the audience. <laughs> the, the, the audience was talking back to the stage, the way African audiences talk back to the stage. <laughs> it was pop culture. And, and it was also so rich and layered and meaningful and complex and so well produced. I mean, the entire body of Shakespeare's work that we know yeah. was created in nine years, was created and performed in nine years, and then he disappeared. So, I mean, this is... I, I, I wish that more of... Um, that we had more people who were passionate about the context, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just using the content to serve some purpose, you know, to make people feel bad about their command of English or to impose, you know, another value system that doesn't have anything to do with us. Shakespeare was radical in his time. And, and artists that matter, at least to me anyway, um, continue in that lineage. Right. And um, just to keep it real, he was real. Shakespeare is what you're saying. Very he much was so. street and he was real. Lebo, you've been described, I described you as a poet. Somebody, some people say you are a spoken word artist. Is that semantics or is there a real difference here? I think there's, so if you are a poet who happens to perform your work, like I do, mm -hmm. then you are engaged in two artistic functions at the same time. I write my own work, so I am a writer. My work lives on the page. I also perform my work. So um, a spoken word artist can be many things. When I do voiceovers, I am a spoken mm -hmm, word artist mm -hmm. reading text that is not my own. When I am recording my own poetry, I am a spoken word artist. When I'm performing my poetry live, I am a spoken word artist. Theater practitioners are spoken word mm -hmm. artists. Anyone who has okay. the skill and the capacity to make text come alive, you know? 
Okay. Yeah, so it's just the, the umbrella. It's, an, it's just it's just the umbrella term then for anybody who is a performer, broadcaster, artist. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. a little bit of education. For, for me, us. anyway. For me, anyway. I I personally have a problem with you know how the label performance poetry kind of ghettoizes black artists. You know. Um, for instance, I mean, Shakespeare was writing poetry that was meant to be performed. Yeah. Nobody would call Shakespeare performance poetry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I mean, it's it, it has become a kind of umbrella term for a, a black poets who perform on stage. And it becomes a way of also dismissing the fact that we are engaged in, in, in multiple artistic functions simultaneously. It becomes a way of dismissing the complexity of what it is that we're doing. You know, when people engage with, uh, with, with my work or with uh, black feminist work or black poets work, mm-hmm. then it, people will engage thematically. You know, even in the literary spaces, mm-hmm. people will engage thematically. They'll engage with the politics. They'll engage with identity politics, right? But they don't get into craftsmanship. Mm. They don't get into literary devices. They don't get into line for line mm-hmm. what is happening, you mm-hmm. know? Because they're already the 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 work that we do, the work that I do is already triggering them. So mm. it's easy to then dismiss it and ghettoize it and put it in this category, mm-hmm. you know, of of people who perform yeah. very well, right? Okay. You know, and and that for me that's been that's been a struggle. That's okay. been one of the most alienating aspects of being in a part of literary right. spaces. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 this just reminds me of um a saying that you know, at times people listen with the intention to reply. They're not listening. Yes. Yes. So I'm just looking at your mouth moving, yes. but all I want to do is just throw a barrage of questions at you and not really process what it is you're about. Because before I've walked in, you already have ideas about what I am and who I am. Before, when I open my mouth, you already have preconceived, you're, you're taking what I'm saying and allocating it to the boxes that you've already created before I've even before you've experienced me, you know? So I think one of the challenges of being an artist is understanding that, you know, like like Shakespeare, like like any of the greats, like like Nina Simone, like Miriam Makeba, mm-hmm. like that your work outlives you, you know? So the challenges of your time are just in are just kind of temporal challenges, you know? Your work outlives you. Many people have said, and certainly this is what my English teacher said to me, is, yes, there's a context, a social and political, um, and a moment, historical, an epoch. So you put everything into, you know, you you look at everything in terms of the frame of the lens from which it came. Yes, yes. But the beautiful thing about literature and poetry is even though there's a context, a history, Really, the interpretation is yours. Let the words on the page mean whatever they mean mm. to you, much mm. like music. Yes, yes. You know, we've yes. just had Mimi Mjali here. That song, Goodbye, Loneliness, Hello, Happiness, mm. it's joyful for me. But if somebody's just gone through a very traumatic experience, there's a different reaction to that particular song. And both yes. our responses are valid. Yes. So when you say your work outlives you, can it outlive you as to however the receiver wants to interpret it? I am more interested artistically in interpretation than in explaining what my work is about. Interpretation is what keeps my work 
alive and keeps it fresh. I've heard interpretations of my work <laughs> that are so far off of what I intended when I wrote it. But for me, that's what shows that the work stands as art because it it can hold so much meaning. And, and even as a, the person who is reading it evolves, they find new meaning in the work. That shows that the work is, is rich and layered and complex and also true. Mm-hmm. You cannot find multiple meanings in something if it's not grounded in mm-hmm. truth because the truth itself is layered mm-hmm and complex and full of different kinds of meanings and interpretation. So, you know, I think that's where that's where I think it becomes difficult because art outlasts the artist. You know, if it's worth if it's worthy of, you know, being called such art, it it will outlast the artist. So, how does the artist treat themselves as a precious vessel mm. for something that will outlast mm. them in a society that is oppressive in a society that does not value the artist or the arts. So we've just listened to an excerpt of your performance in Lagos and in it you said, I paraphrase, South Africans, you are the living dead. Mm. What do you mean by that? What do you interpret from that? (laughs) Exactly that, is that we have breath, we have life but we're not really using our fullest potential and that our souls died a long time ago and there's nothing really to reignite a passion. That's my interpretation. Mm, That's true. That's true. I agree with that interpretation. Another additional interpretation is that we are a society that's steeped in beliefs that connect us to those who have passed before us. So the, the line between the dead and the living is very porous. It's very thin. We live in a world, we live in a, in a, we live with a worldview that encompasses uh, the people who have passed before us, you know, and, and, and that acknowledges that we will also alter, enter the realm of those who have passed before us, that, that this body is just temporal, you know. So how do, how do you, how do we walk with such a, a vast understanding and deep appreciation for life because to appreciate the dead is it it acknowledges the sacredness of life but then we are a society that rapes and that kills and that is destructive and that is traumatized and that uh that that elevates um people and and a kind of power that is so destructive mm. you know that the both exist at the same time i'm interested in complexity and contradiction as an artist how how is it possible that the same people who hold death as sacred South Africans will praise the dead with words that we never use for the living. They'll visit cemeteries every weekend. Absolutely. Like a pilgrimage. In triumph, in pain, we acknowledge the dead. We speak love and life over the dead in ways that we do not speak about each other, in ways that we do not speak about the living. So is it possible, although this is very generalized, but is it possible that the body lives in a South African but the soul died? I think, you know, I, sure. I think um, trauma, trauma creates webs of uh, responses in the body 
that we learn when we are traumatized, right? Um, you become, you become, you get sexually abused and you learn how to leave your body. You get, you are beaten as a child and you learn that beating is power. You experience poverty and you learn that uh, deprivation is, is a material condition that you never want to experience again. So you can grow up and find yourself with wealth, but if you have not dealt with the spiritual psychological and emotional trauma of the poverty that you experienced if you have not healed from it you'll be sitting with a hundred million and still trying to amass more and more and more and more because and more. you're so scared of losing it because all because you're so scared of losing it all so i think a lot of what we see and the the kind of dysfunctional and painful behaviors that we we experience in this country are our trauma responses because as a collective you know we've we've endured massive amounts of intergenerational trauma that has not been, I mean, maybe at, at some level it's been recognized, but I don't think we have begun to do mm. the real inner excavation that will make true mm. healing possible. And for me, that's what makes it exciting to be an artist. Let me, let me ask you something else here, and I'm going to now bring in the intersectionality of race to what you're saying. So I, I think... Many people would agree with the view that South Africa is made up of people who are broken on the inside, yes. and they'll and they'll and they'll attribute it to many things. Apartheid yes. was one of them, state-sponsored violence. We talk about these things on Power Talk a lot, and we also acknowledge that the trauma seems to have afflicted the black population, and in particular the black woman, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. But is it exclusively? the segment of the community, are white people traumatized? Can they be traumatized? In my mid-twenties, I went to uh, Germany and collaborated with a South African musician who had been in exile then for like 20 years, you know, in Germany. Well, it wasn't exile. He went into exile, then the country changed and he just chose not to come back. Mm -hmm. And what prompted him going into exile was conscription. Um, so we connected as artists, you know, I mean, he's kind of, he's a generation older than me, but when he spoke about his experiences of conscription and the trauma of conscription and what it did to him, I mean, he told an incident of, he was caught, uh, smoking a cigarette and the, the commander in charge of him, uh, took him out behind the barracks, gave him a carton of cigarettes and a bucket of water and said, you are going to finish these or everybody inside those barracks is going to beat you up. He vomited for like, he vomited until he ended up in the infirmary. And that was for days, you know, and that was the incident that made him to be like, I, I, I can't deal with this, you know. So I often think about what 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 is what happens when you are a child? We, we are here in Houghton, right? What happens if you are a kid growing up, a white kid growing up in apartheid South Africa, completely isolated from the dynamics, the true dynamics of your country? Right. And then you are sent to Angola to go and blow up children. Or you sent to, you know, to, to, to Botswana to go and kill people. Or sent to Soweto. Or sent to Soweto. To go and kill keep kids. the peace and kill kids your own and age. And kill kids your own age. And we are walking around with middle-aged men who are carrying that type of trauma. So, I mean, yeah, you may not know the trauma of what it means to uh, sleep with an, an empty stomach. You may not know the trauma of black tax. 
you may not know the trauma of what it is to walk into a room and be immediately devalued and dehumanized because you are black. But to say that you don't know the trauma of an oppressive system, mm. of an oppressive regime, mm. is a lie. So, um, you know, I'm asking this deliberately because we're all trying to make sense of what happened in Stellenbosch with the urinating incident. And many years ago, 2013, there was the incident at UFS. And I've often wondered mm. if the brokenness we're talking about is not one-dimensional, dimensional, is mm. that white people don't know what to do with systemic change. Yes. Black people don't know how to embrace opportunities in systemic change. Black men don't know what to do. Black men don't know what to do with empowerment of women. Absolutely. Black women don't know what to do. They have an imposter syndrome where a system favors them, but a culture doesn't. I'm just wondering what is happening in this country and how many people are broken here. I think I would I would say arguably everyone. And there's no safe space for people to be able to unmask and say, when no one is looking, this is what I am carrying around with me. And how do I heal it? And will my pain be respected? Will my heart and my experiences Mm. be respected? Or will you just continue to shove me into the Mm. box that I've always been shoved in and dehumanize me? We're in conversation with Lebohang Mashile. It's her interpretation of society. Some of it, yes, is psychological and maybe does need experts to break it down for us as to what's happening neurologically in our brains. But the eyes don't lie. They see what they observe in a country that rapes, maims, kills even a six-year-old child. That's not something to be proud of, South Africa. Thank you, Lebohang Mashile. We continue. It's time for the news. You're listening to Lerato Mbele on Power 98.7, weekdays 9 a.m. to midday. Now we're talking. We're definitely talking in conversation with Lebohang Mashile. She's in the spotlight on this Friday edition of the segment. You know her really well. She is a poet, a playwright, a writer, an artist, and many have said, you know, a voice of consciousness in this generation. Because when I first discovered you, Lebohang, and I know we're age mates, we're in, you know, we're in the same generation, was just on the cusp of democracy and we were just feeling the fire of change around yes. us and we were a generation ready to seize the day and carpe what diem. What a privilege it was and, to come of age at that And time. your yeah. poetry appealed to a cross-section of the community, the population, even the politicians who were just about to take over a government. And you were asked to address rallies and speak because there was just something you were saying that said this, our time has come. Mm -hmm. Is poetry protest and should it always be? Do you feel pressurized? No, I don't. I mean, Nina Simone says that the job of an artist is to reflect their times, you know? So... I I I feel like I am telling my truth. I'm speaking about what is happening, what I see happening around me, what is happening to me, what the historical connections between what is happening now and what has happened. Um, I feel like I'm holding up a, a mirror, you know, an, mm. an, an inner mirror, but also an outer one at, at the same time, you know. Um, and, and I think it, it takes great... Um, 
sensitivity to be able to tell the truth, you know? Um, I could, I mean, I could write about flowers and I could write about beauty <laughs> and I could write about, and I do. And you I do mean, it very well. And I do, and I do feel deeply connected to, to nature and trees and the ocean and, the, you know, the, the, the sky. And those are themes, the themes that <laughs> continuously recur in my work, right? But I also write about what it is to be a black woman living in the most unequal society on earth because that is a material reality that I have yeah. to contend with on a daily basis. I'm going to say a term to you. Tell me what it means to you. Yes. When someone says you're woke. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think we're living in this interesting time where uh, Chris Abani talks about how we are living through multiple intersecting revolutions. So if you think about the Industrial Revolution, which started in the mid-1700s and then played itself out all the way into the 20th century, right? Um, right now we are living through the digital revolution. We are also living through a gender revolution. We are also living through an environmental revolution. We are also looking at how gender, the environment, race, all of this connects with the way that we treat the, the, the environment with the way that we treat the living landscape that, that we inhabit and how what capitalism and industry has done to our planet, how that has a direct result mm. on how our ability to be able to live, you know. So there are multiple intersecting revolutions happening on earth right yeah. now and they're going to play themselves out for the rest of our lifetimes and probably even the lifetimes that follow but i think that the kind of change that we are witnessing you know what the the conversations that are possible now versus what was possible 20 years ago when i started out mm -hmm. you know 20 years ago when i called myself a feminist people thought i was crazy i mean i think people still do think i'm crazy for a myriad of reasons but there were there were very few people who were out apart from feminist and activist communities yeah. where people would wear that word as a badge of honor and now you've got the biggest pop stars on earth saying, I'm, saying a I'm a feminist and men, saying, and men saying I'm a feminist let's let's just delve into that one a little bit because when I started this show nine weeks ago I remember when we were kind of I'm now so much a part of the furniture after nine weeks I brilliant. can tell you should see how the guys just tease me on power breakfast but anyway brilliant I remember when we had a conversation with the team as to, okay, this is the show. How would you like to redesign it? And what was in my mind and what were holy grails on the show, etc. And I just said, you know, I want a song of my own. And they're like, oh, we've got a song for the show. And I said, no, I want a song of my own. Yes. That unequivocally says to Power FM listeners, this is my value system. This I is it. Like this. Yes. And that was it. And so it was yes. then the interpretation of yes. Flawless with the uh, extract from uh, Chimamanda. Chimamanda. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and to my surprise, uh, power listeners were very keen on it. The women were like, yeah, well, Manda, the guys were like, okay, okay, we get the point. <laughs> but it was very important yeah. that we establish that. Yeah. That whilst I love men very, very much, yeah. um, and I have tremendous respect, and I'm not saying it to appease them, you know, I owe my career to many men who believed in me, opened doors, Absolutely. supported Absolutely. me. Absolutely. You know, I have Absolutely. many examples of great men in my life. In as much as I have quite a few examples of male abuse. But having said that, I believe that for women, the, 
the journey to equality is still a very, very long way away. Definitely. And it's got nothing to do with social position. It's got to do with cultural attitudes. And up until men do some kind of a real, real introspection, um, we're not going to start healing the wounds. Because people think mm. when you're educated in South Africa and you've got a good job, mm. you've overcome. That you've overcome oppression. Actually, they don't know what you're walking. probably even where the battle really begins yeah. for you. You're walking into boardrooms of power where you are the most vulnerable creature. I mean, how do you how do you transform an economy when you cannot walk into spaces of power and do transformation work because of inequality? I mean, you when when I walk into a space, I'm walking in, I'm carrying my family, I'm carrying all of the people that I'm responsible for, I'm carrying intergenerational trauma. How do you transform an organization when you know that me speaking up in this moment could risk potentially 10 people not getting food next month. And also the pressure is that because transformation has been so slow and affirmative action in itself doesn't really uh, change the culture of the organization. You end up being two black women in a room at an executive level. Yes. And the aspirations of the entire organization's transformation rests on your shoulders. But for you to really have meaningful power in that room, you can't shake the establishment. Otherwise, you're out. This is what I mean. This is precisely what I mean. And you being out, you're not going to land on a soft place. You're not going to land on in a community that will take care of you and that will allow you to be able to occupy a similar position or even a better position in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. No, you are going to land in a community that is going to be even more deprived because you are not in that position anymore. And what about the guilt tripping of many women? Yeah. You know, every day we look at the statistics on gender-based violence. Yeah. They've ticked up by 13% sexual violence. Yeah. Um, something, something is com- completely out of kilter in South Africa. Perhaps you have a view on that. But also the guilt tripping of women who want to make a success of their lives. So maybe you come to power and you have a successful run. Yes. But when you get home, somebody says, yeah, you're a powerful talk show host, but do they know you don't cook as a wife? You're not a good mother. Oh, yeah. So you're navigating spaces. Yeah. Or you can't be you you can't be a CEO landing. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you're famous out there. You're not famous here. You understand? Here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tough one. I mean, you speak about the 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 great men that you have known and the great men who have empowered you. And I have a similar experience too. And I think one of the another reason why I'm really, you know, passionate about art is because art can be a container for holding contradictions, you know? The very same men who have empowered me are also men who have hurt other women in their lives and both hold true in the same skin, in the same life, in the same lifetime. And how do you 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 acknowledge that? How do you have empathy? How do you uh, accept that this same person who's, who's opened all these doors for me, who's shown so much love and so much grace towards me, has also been a monster in their lives to the people who are closest to him? You've spoken a lot in your work about patriarchy toxic masculinity you've just referred to the fact that many years ago you declared yourself a feminist before it became fashionable to do so why are these recurring themes in your work why is this important to you other than the fact that you are a woman and you do live in a world of entrenched 
uh, patriarch in the system. But but why is this something that you think and you feel we are not talking about it enough? We are not conscientized about it enough. You know, I think for let me speak for for just my own internal GPS, mm. you know, the 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 compass that gives me direction. Feminism as a tool helped me to understand my own humanity. You know, I believe, I mean, and forgive me for being esoteric. I believe that I am a soul. I believe that the most essential part of my being is eternal, as is the most essential part of your being and the being of every living creature on the planet. I believe that I've lived many lifetimes in many races, (laughs) in many genders. I believe that in this particular lifetime, I've incarnated in the body of an African, South African woman, right? And in order to understand how the vastness of my soul can be subjected to so many forces that do not understand or respect or uh, value the vastness of who I am. Tools like Pan-Africanism, tools like black consciousness, tools like um, uh, like feminism have helped me to understand that as much as, you know, there is this, there's this vast part of me that the body that I live in is subjected to historical mm-hmm. forces that have existed long before my body chose mm-hmm. to enter this realm and that those historical forces continue to act on my body and on many other bodies. So for me, these political tools are a way of making sense of a lived experience. Somebody who's listening to you now literally wrote David Seleka. He literally says she's from a timeless time, from a sandless earth. Her lips warmly express and imitate the motions of our emotions. She wears not a crown, but a dust of diamonds on each of the strands of her beautiful hair. She is the light. She is my sister. She is Lebo Mashile. So listen, some people get it. David got it. He he gets what you say. When you you. say I've lived multiple lifetimes, I feel like it. I feel like I'm a soul reincarnated. And there's a reason for this season in my life. There are people who get it. It's yeah, there are. There are definitely, definitely. I think my my intention now, my creative and artistic intention is to speak to those people because I think that those people are outliers. I think if you live in the world and you have a sense of justice and you are able to see through all of this, that that makes you feel like an outsider a lot of the time. So I'm writing for those people who are on the Mm -hmm. edge. That's who my work is for. I can stand in front of any audience and inspire anybody, but the people who I am here to to serve are those people. Feminist. Even Barack Obama calls himself one. Uh, Joe Biden recently referred to himself as one. Uh, Justin Trudeau says he's one. He didn't quite say it in as many words, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, but he definitely said that a society that, demeans and diminishes its women is not a society he wants to be a part of feminist Mm. can we just do a quick in a minute feminism 101 is it (laughs) anti-men are we anti-men when we say we're feminist oh god because i think that's the thing is that when when patriarchy starts to fight back it's because they think feminism means us against them whereas it's together we can walk this journey just please respect me that's my that's my interpretation of it I no longer care about people 
who feel threatened by the empowerment of women. I, 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 for a long time, I feel like I've, I've positioned myself and I've also been positioned in, in, in a kind of evangelical way mm. of trying to transform people who hold opposing views. I think even a lot of the way that mainstream media is kind of set up is to create this like theater, almost like a wrestling match of oppositional views, you know, the, the radical feminist on this side, the hardcore patriarch on that side. Let's bash it out. Who's going to survive? I'm not interested. I'm not interested anymore because why should I be interested in somebody who genuinely is not interested in my humanity? So, I mean, for me, femi- you know, Gloria Steinem, right, mm-hmm. says if you respect and love women, then you're a feminist. I'm still debating internally whether or not men can be feminists. I don't have an answer to that. I don't know if you can be a feminist and not understand the position that Winnie Mandela has occupied in this country. I don't know if you can be a feminist and drop bombs on mothers and children in the in 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 the Middle East and in Africa. I don't know if you can be a feminist and sit at the helm of one of the most unequal societies on earth and not acknowledge the struggles of the people who are most marginalized in your society who are always women, who are always people of color, who are always the poor, who are, you know? So, you know, I think um but for for me personally, Men who understand that their healing, their own transcendence, their own ability to transform their lives is bound up in transforming their understanding of women, of how they were raised, of what happened to their mothers, of what is going on in their relationships, of how they treat their daughters. Women, men who have an investment in that are men who I am interested in. The other ones, because you can rape me, you can kill me, you'll call me crazy, you'll dismiss me, you'll deny me. I don't care. God forbid I'm binding. No, I, God forbid I bind it. But I'm just saying, like, if if I'm not, I'm I'm no longer willing mm. to okay. try to convince someone of my humanity. Yeah. You don't see my humanity. So, we don't occupy the same space. So alliances will be formed with men who say, "Lebo, I see you." And yes. I acknowledge that life is not necessarily yes. easy for you. And within my power as a CEO, how do I, on merit, start to make your ascendancy? easier promoting you on merit but also promoting you because you're a woman who deserves it those are the alliances and a recognition of the fact that me as a whatever white male black male ceo my own legacy my own health and well-being the health and well-being of this company that i am building and my society and every other sphere of influence that i have is intimately bound up in my own inner work which is directly connected to the way that i treat women and it's an energetic thing you feel it you feel when somebody is about personal transformation and when they're not um steven i see you go ahead uh, good, good, good morning, Lerato. Good morning, Cecily. I just wanted actually to find out from Cecily that uh, as from a poetic point of view, when I, I recite my my clan poem, I only retrieve the one that is stuck in my memory, the one that is that 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 is in my mind. I, I, 
but I cannot actually refer in my mind to the written one because I tried to, put, to bring it into the writing. Mm-hmm. Like when, if, I, if you will allow me to can say just a few, as, as it comes into my mind now, this is the one that I was actually listening when it was actually. I just memorized it, but I, I cannot in my mind right now refer to the one that I have actually written. And uh, I have, uh, I, I, I'm honored actually. Sis Lebo, she doesn't know that she has got a follower that has yeah. been following for a very long time. That's and I really happy. appreciate And then I have learned from her to that. You know that? You don't have got to worry, to think, to worry about what people are saying about you. You, They are actually, don't worry, they are actually wondering what are you thinking of them. <laughs> okay, thank you, Dr. <laughs> Stephen Jabun Pretoria. Hello. Uh, good morning, Sister Lerato. Yes, go ahead, sir. Uh, I just, I'm a huge fan of Lebo. Thank uh, tender you. Thing is that he, you are the best poet you are in Bogota, and I'm yeah. just honored to live in your era oh, and to have to so read your words oh. and feel. Thank you for that. And then um, from Dube Village, here comes hey! a message that says, listen, that says, Mama Dima. Yes! And Mama Jackie should be happy with their grandchildren right now. Your grandmother and my grandmother, because apparently they knew each other. Yes! Oh, the Dube Divas. Jacks. The Dube Divas. Jacks. They carried themselves with such (laughs) dignity. They are Abbasaribako Dube, especially of that generation. Such incredible (sighs) black people. Like poise and grace and elegance and sophistication and doing all of that while living through utter turmoil. I mean, if I think about my grandmother's lifetime, you know, to experience like apartheid, forced removals, you know, losing your home, having to set up another home in another, in in, in Soweto. It's extraordinary. I I don't want you to answer though, but isn't that also a a response to trauma? They've been through so much, but you know, the social fiber requires that a woman is dignified. So she must carry all those burdens with dignity. If they'd had an opportunity to scream, yeah, they would what have. Would I, what would they have said? They would, have, and in other ways, they screamed. I mean, mm. my my grandmother was a was a midwife, and she became a matron at Planned Parenthood. Go go. That's go, why they knew each other. Go bar. My grandmother was the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. they knew each other. Yeah. So, I mean, my grandmother had five kids, and she was like, you know, if if the options, the birth control options that I was helping women to choose existed when I was yeah. busy having children, I would have made different choices. This is why I was passionate yeah. about what I do. Yeah. You know. Lebo, does it ever get tiring? I know that um, before I came back to power, I'd been out of the BBC for about seven months before, wow. the, before the call came. Wow. And really where I was was tired. Hey, Physically babes. tired of living hey, out of a suitcase. Yo! And emotionally <laughs> tired of every time I had to say Africa, I'd have to debunk. It's not always about poverty. It's not always about war. Sure. It's not always about this. It's not sure. always. Just tired. Sure. Sure. Does it ever get draining? I think I am... Um, What the pandemic has made me realize, I mean, now things are opening back up and I'm back to living out of a suitcase after probably the longest uninterrupted period of being in Johannesburg in in decades, in decades. Right. Um, 
and and that kind of that that period made me realize like actually this work is physically hard it is mentally hard it is we're going to battle and going to war every day when we do what we do you know in the ways that you are speaking about debunking myths debunking myths about africa about black women about the platforms that we have about our art form about you know your level of intelligence all the all the all the time i think being this pandemic has made me realize that I'm precious, first and foremost, to myself. And I look at the people that I admire, the the feminists, the activists, women in my family, you know, um, the ones like a generation ahead of us, you know, they are sick. They Their life expectancies are not long. Mm-hmm. They die early. Mm-hmm. They suffer from chronic illnesses. They suffer mm-hmm. from depression. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, I'm 43 now, and I'm like, okay, I'm halfway through my career. Like, I'm halfway through my life. Um, how... What do I want the next mm. half to look like? Mm. You know, and I don't want to waste energy on what isn't important to me in the next half. Okay. I want to speak to and in spaces that nourish me and yeah. that appreciate me. You know, um, I want to be. I want to spend the rest of mm. my life figuring out or learning how mm. good God can make it. You I know love what you're saying, and I think that's what happens to you at forty. It certainly did to me. Yeah. You earlier on, you said. I recognize myself as a soul and obviously I follow you on social media and you're so connected to the moon. You know when there's a full moon. You know what the energy of the moon is like. You interpret the rain. So tell us about, as we say goodbye, your soul and where it is right now and how you feed it and how we can do the same. Oh, wow. What a fantastic question. I love that. I love that. Um, So the elements of my life that ground me uh, are my uh, my relationship with my spirituality. Um, My I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy now for three years. Um, my children and family and the close community of, 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 of friends who are like family that surround me. Um, those are the things that feed me. Those are the things that heal me. My health, you know, what I put into my body, including whether it's the the art that I consume, the things that I'm binge watching on Netflix, the music that I'm listening to, um, and, and nature. I think, you know, the city has a way of divorcing you from the fact that we are still living in a natural environment. So for me, I love the ocean. I love the sea. I'm yeah. a child of the sea. Yeah. Um, and in the absence of the sea, you know, in a place like Joburg, I look for connection through 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 the trees and through the skies and mm. through walking and through the, the, the sound of the mm. birds or the sounds of the city. When the cars mm. are present, when the cars leave, what does the city sound like? The music that people make. Um, I think being being present and being grounded is making a decision to making a decision to live in love. Yeah. First and foremost here for the self for, yeah. for 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 if I if 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 this house that I'm living in is unloved, I can't see love in the world. There's no better place to leave it. And um Upuzolani says um in fact success says we've missed you Lebomashile. But Zolani says, Power Talk with Lerata, a great way to close the week. Thank you for bringing us a pure artist in Lebu Mashile. What an awesome conversation. I concur. But Lebu, retain your purity. South Africa, this land without a name, it still needs you. This has been Power Talk. See you again on Monday. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za 
or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.